Luke chapter 2, verse number 40, and it reads as follows. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem, and after the custom of the feast, and when they fulfilled the days and they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. And when they had found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I uh, have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray before we look at today's verses. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for this Christmas season that we are able to remember you, honor you, glorify you. Lord, we ask that you be with us now as we... Look into your word, study your word, know your word, and be with me as I speak your word. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we were talking about recently, about some of the, the basic and important things about being a Christian. And I was looking at my past messages, and I realized something as we head into this Christmas season, is that I haven't given you guys a message about Jesus in a long time, right? Because we've been talking about all this other stuff, right? Sunday school, we've been covering prophets. Second half, we've been covering our various topics. And we know that Nathan is doing his study about the four Gospels, so I guess it hasn't crossed my mind to talk about Jesus for a while, right? Maybe only once in the past 12 months. But we know, we know, we know that Jesus is a central character, if you will, or central person, right, of the whole Bible. In fact, Jesus is the central figure in our whole faith. We are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. So I think it's important that every once in a while we do talk about Jesus, and especially we talk about Jesus right now. We're getting to the Christmas season. We'll be hearing a lot about Jesus's birth, right? And I won't speak about that today because surely you'll hear stuff about that the next two Sundays. And you'll hear about that during the Christmas dinner if you show up for that. In fact, you get to hear me talk about that during the Christmas dinner, right? So we'll save the Christmas talk for then, right? But we still want to talk about Jesus, right? And I think it'd be important to know a little bit about him, right? If our full faith is based about him, if our salvation is based on him, if everything is based on this important person, Jesus Christ. So I wanted to look at and try to figure out what's an interesting story we could look at today about the life of Jesus. And maybe in the future we'll study other bits and pieces of Jesus' life, kind of off and on, now and then, just because we should, and we should know these things. So today we're going to look at one particular story about Jesus Christ, Jesus as a child. But of course the background first, just for the, the basic basics, in case you didn't know, in case you didn't know, Jesus Christ he was a real person who lived on earth, right? Hopefully you guys all believe that. Hopefully that's uh, obvious, right? But some people don't believe that. 
right? Many people who are non-believers will say, how do we know Jesus is real? Jesus is a figment of people's imaginations. He's a fairy tale. He's a myth. He's no more real than the Greek gods or whatever, right? Well, we can tell you without a doubt that that's a false statement. Jesus Christ was, in fact, a real person, historically recorded, significant individual. There's no doubt about that. You can ask any non-believing historian, uh, studier, studier of that time, and no one will say, oh, Jesus was fake, right? Because there's ample, ample written and, uh, written and contemporary and biblical and all these type of uh, recordings of the life of Jesus, right? We have four Gospels worth of writings about Jesus. We have other people, non-Christian people, writing about Jesus. And, of course, we have the oral tradition, the stories of Jesus. When you have so much, all historians would kind of agree that, hey, we have all this stuff because it was a real guy, right? The historians might disagree that he was God, but they don't disagree that he existed, right? Because how else do we know that any other historical figure existed? How do we know that Julius Caesar, a guy that lived thousands of years ago, was a real guy? By the same evidence, right? Oh, people wrote about Julius Caesar. There was a statue of him. Why would people build a statue of a fake guy, right? Right? There's stories. There's written stuff. He must be real. Likewise, Jesus. There's artwork of him. There's stories. There's written stuff about him. He must be real. In the same way that we would say Buddha was a real guy, a human being, or Muhammad was a real guy, a human being. But the difference, the difference is not only do we believe that Jesus is a real guy who lived on earth, but we also believe that Jesus was the perfect man and God's own son. That's the difference. You see, we studied some of the highlights of his life before. You know, if you've been around church long enough, you know these basic facts, right? That he was born of a virgin, right? Different from you and I, right? He wasn't just a man in the sense that, you know, like you and I are, we were born from a human mother, and human father, different, different already from the outset, that he was born of only one human, right? Just the Virgin Mary. Different also because of the way he lived his life. He lived a sinless life. He lived that perfect life. Obviously different from all of us. All of us have sinned. All of us have done wrong. And that's part of our human heritage. Jesus didn't have that same human heritage again. Remember, half of his heritage was a godly heritage, right? But still, he was, when he was on earth, fully human, right? And I put down some verse references in your handout. We're not going to read them all. But you can trust me when I say these are true. If you don't trust me, you can read them, right? That he was fully human. He got hungry, just like you and me. He got tired, like you and me. He slept, like you and me. He suffered pain, like you and me. And he also died, as all of us are going to die one day, right? But here's the difference. The difference between you and me is that when he died, he came back to life. And that's because Jesus Christ is also God. And we knew this from the very beginning, right? That the angel said that his name should be Emmanuel, right? Which being interpreted is God with us. In John 10, 30, Jesus said this, I and my Father are one. Because he was God, he was able to do the supernatural. He was able to do miracles. He was able to speak with wisdom of all knowledge. And he was able to die on the cross for the remission of sins. 
something that only God could do, right? It's not something a human could do, born of two human parents. No matter how hard you and I try, we could never say, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins and your sins and the sins of the whole earth. The only one capable of doing that is someone with some kind of supernatural ability, with some kind of connection to God, someone who was God, and that was Jesus Christ himself. Hopefully we know all these things. We know that by simply trusting as Jesus Christ as Savior, that we get everlasting salvation in heaven. And all that is stuff that we know a lot about Jesus and his ministry and his teachings. And we've heard it over and over again over the years here at church. But I was thinking about this this week, about one of the things we don't hear about and one of the things we don't know very much about, which is, what about Jesus' early life, right? We know the Christmas story, right? Jesus was born. And then if you look in the Gospels, it always seems like the next thing is Jesus is 30 years old and he's doing miracles and stuff now. So the age-old question is, what happened in between? Right? How do we get from point A to point B? He was born, he, uh, the wise men came, they fled into Egypt, all those stories, you heard it so many times, right? Came back from Egypt, right? And then all of a sudden he's old and now here he is doing miracles and stuff. What about the in-between? Well, that's what we're going to look at today, because uh, as you may or may not know, there's actually not that much stuff in the Bible that talks about what happened in Jesus' life between age, essentially birth, to age 30. In fact, there's only one story. Those are the verses we read to you here today, right? Those verses we read in Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 40 to 52, that's it. That's it for the whole Bible about what happened in Jesus' life during those years. And I think the fact that this is the only story in the whole Bible about those years makes me think one thing. It makes me think that this story has got to be significant, right? Because if, if the writers of the Gospels decided to gloss over the rest of his early life, we want to hear about Jesus' age 15, Jesus' age 8, Jesus at age 18. None of that's in there. But yet Luke was inspired by God to write about this one story about Jesus at age 12. It must mean something. It must be special. It must have some lesson for us. That's why it's included. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this series of verses here about his early life and figure out what do we learn from it? What can we say about Jesus, age 0 to 30? Because these verses actually cover all that period. It starts off in verse 40. Verse 40, it says, The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That one verse is all we know about Jesus from age birth to age 12. And what does that verse tell us? It tells us a few things, and there's stuff we learn from that too. It tells us that he grew, right? It says a child grew, just like a normal child, right? He was a normal kid. He had to grow up. He had to grow up, what does he say? He waxed strong, right? He grew up in strength, got bigger, just like your kids and my kids. They get bigger every year, right? They get stronger every year. And he grew in wisdom, right? Same thing. Our kids, they get more mentally, mentally developed when they're like 
you know, two years old, three years old, four years old, etc. The idea is that Jesus was, in all respects, a human. He had to go through all these steps. He didn't just come down right away as like some kind of miracle baby God, right? In fact, if you look at some of these apocryphal, meaning false, texts, they try to establish that, right? You read all these false gospels and stuff that say, oh, Jesus, when he was like a baby, he could make the trees move and feed him food, right? Or he could make like a bird out of clay and it came to life and he would do this just for fun and ha ha ha. He was like, you know, showing off his skills like, uh, like uh, a kid who was God and this and that. No, 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 he didn't start off like that. He was just like any other kid that he had growth and development. Development. There's a reason why we don't hear about his ministry until way later in life. He had to grow up. In one way, physically, he had to get stronger. And we know, we know that Jesus was strong, right? And we hear Nathan talk about every single year when he shows you the cross of Jesus, that he grew to be a strong guy, right? He's able to work in his father's business as a carpenter, right? Those st- that suggests he st- grew up strong, just like any other kid who exercises, eats well. I'm sure he did all those things, right? He was a good kid, right? Look at all the things he did later in life, in addition to being carpenter, being strong enough to hold the cross, being strong enough to walk around everywhere, right? They didn't have cars back then, right? He walks around miles and miles, up hills and down hills, spreading his ministry, right? All this was building up to that, right? His growth, his growth in strength to be ready for when he faced that torture, that punishment, that suffering on the cross. And also, growth mentally, right? He had, from the very beginning, the mind of God, right? Because he was God. Jesus is God. He had that. But boy, wouldn't that be hard to comprehend? I I mean, I, I... as an example, and I know it's a weird example, but if you guys watch these like superhero movies, the ones with the people who know how to like read people's minds, right? They always show you at the beginning when they're a little kid how they hear too many voices and they can't filter it out, right? Well, think about this way with Jesus. If he knew so much stuff, would he be able to process all that information as like a one-year-old kid who did not even know how to talk yet or whatever, right? Probably not. It took him time to grow and understand all that stuff in his head, to process it, be able to communicate about it, to share with it about the other people. Yes, he was always God. Yes, he had that knowledge. But also, it took time for him to grow and develop and to be able to share, share that message with other people. And so it was that at age 12, we see a little bit of a change, and that's why we get the story. At age 12, this is the only story we get. And we'll summarize that story briefly here. Right? We read in those verses that Jesus' family went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. You guys have heard about Passover before. You guys know it from the book of Exodus and Moses. And then after uh, the Passover, where the firstborn was killed, but, Je- but the, uh, the, the Israelites, the Jews, were spared, they recognized this event having a feast every year. So by the time of Jesus' day, it became a big deal, right? People would go to Jerusalem, to the temple there, to celebrate this feast. You can imagine people from all over the area, 
estimated probably like over 100,000 people would travel there on this, this feast day. Or it's not even a day, it was a whole week for this feast week. And Jesus' family, being devout Jews, right, being Jews that followed God, they said, we're going to do this. We're going to bring a whole family down there, and we're going to go do our duty. We're going to go to the temple. We're going to go follow all these ceremonies, which involve, you know, slaughtering the lamb, right, which uh, you remember from the Passover story, and they do in remembrance of that story. They would go do all those things in Jerusalem, right? So they went there. Hung out in Jerusalem for a couple days. That was their custom, as it says, right? And verse 43, the days were fulfilled. The feast was done, right? And then what? And they returned, right? Because remember, Jesus from Nazareth. Nazareth is about, what, 80 miles away from Jerusalem. Time for them to go home, right? So they all went home. What does it say in verse 43? The child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Right? And Joseph and his mother knew not about it. So what happens? So they said in verse 44, supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. So it says they traveled in a company. So back then, you know, it was a big deal, big feast. It's not just Mary and Joseph and Jesus go to the feast, right? It's their whole family, right? Family meaning extended family. So there's a lot of people. The whole crew are going down to Jerusalem. And you travel in a group. And we know that, that people back then thousands of years ago, traveling in groups. There's a reason for that, right? You have more people. You're protected against like bandits and stuff because you got a big group, right? You can support each other. So they probably traveled in a big group. That's why it says they travel in a company, right? It says later on that they're like uh, acquaintances with them and, and family, right? That that's what this group of people are traveling. Because you wonder, you wonder, how could you lose your child, right? This is something that people ask about sometimes. In fact, someone this week just asked me, like, have you ever lost your kid before, right? And the answer I say is yes. I don't know if you parents, if you guys are better parents than me and you never lost your kids. I can say, yes, I've lost my kid before. I told the story, right? It was in Portland. We were on vacation in Portland. And we had five adults, right? It was me, Elaine, my two parents, my father-in-law, five adults to watch just two kids. Right? So we had five adults. We're walking around the, the Rose Garden in Portland, looking at the flowers or whatever, taking pictures, doing touristy things. And at some point, someone goes, hey, where's Andrew? Right? And then, of course, everyone gives the same answer. Says, oh, I thought he was with you. I was like, no, I thought he was with you. Weren't you watching him? And so everyone points fingers at everybody. And Andrew's lost. Like, who knows where he is, right? So we had to spend, like, I don't know, it was like 20 minutes wandering around this huge garden looking for him, right? And eventually we found him and he's just, you know, walking around as if nothing's wrong, right? But somehow, even with five adults, we lost one kid, right? So what happened to Jesus in this story? Something kind of similar, right? Because you have to remember this. Jesus, he was like the perfect kid, right? He's sinless. He never did anything wrong. I know, I, bet, I, I wish I had a kid like that, never did anything wrong and never give any problems, right? So I'm sure for Mary and Joseph, they never had to worry about him a day in his life, right? Oh, Jesus always does the right thing. He's always good. He's the easiest kid, right? So when they got in that caravan of people and started going back on their animals or walking or whatever, you know, and they didn't see Jesus next to them, what did they assume? They probably assumed the same thing that we would assume. Oh, 
oh, Jesus must be with his, with his other relatives. Oh, his uncle must be watching him. Oh, his, uh, his uh, cousin is playing with him or whatever, right? And the people that are in the back away from uh, Mary and Joseph, they wouldn't notice that Jesus is gone because they assume, oh, Jesus is so good. He's probably with his mom and dad walking back already, right? Nah, don't have to worry about it. So everyone took this attitude. How long did this last? We read in that verse, for one whole day. Not just for like uh, an hour, not just for like those few minutes, like what it was when Andrew got lost, right? It was like for a whole day, they all walked and just assumed that Jesus was with them, right? Until finally they stopped. I guess they stopped to eat or something like that. And they realized like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's not here, right? They had gone one whole day without him. And it said, what happened? Well, they had to go back to look for him, right? You don't just leave your kid and say, oh, he must be back in Jerusalem. He must be back where, where, where we left him, right? So if they spent a day there to go out, how long did it take back to go back? Another day, two days already. In fact, it said in the verses we read that it took three days before they found him, right? So that's one day out, one day in, and one day to find him. Because remember, I told you, this was during the feast day. How many people were in that city? 100,000 people, filled with people, packed with people. How are you going to find one kid when hundreds of thousands of people are wandering around? That's a tough thing, right? To find one kid out of all those, all those people. But they did. They did, they did. Eventually, they found him in the temple. And what was he doing in the temple? It said this, that he was sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. He was among the teachers in the temple, talking with them, conversing with them, as essentially an expert on all things related to God and related to the, to the scriptures. He was talking to them. He was sharing with them. He was learning. He was sharing. He was at that point in his development where he really understood all that stuff in his mind about what God was saying, what the scriptures were saying. His parents got there and they basically said, you know, what were you doing? Why did you go away? Right? And he gives this answer. He says, oh, he says this. He says, how is it that you sought me? Which see not that I must be about my father's business. And it says in the Bible that his parents don't understand what he's talking about, right? It says that on verse 50, they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. You see, his parents knew this. They knew from the very beginning that he was the Messiah, right? We heard all the stories. We heard the Christmas story all the time, right? That he, the angel said, was going to be the Savior, right? The wise men said it. The shepherds said it. All these people told him that. They knew this was true, that he was going to be the Savior. But they didn't understand what that meant. It's hard for us to understand, right? I can't imagine being Mary and Joseph, you're raising this baby, seems like a regular baby, oh, very good baby, baby doesn't do bad stuff, and he's a child, and you got to feed him and clothe him and do all that other stuff. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, this is going to be the Savior one day, without really knowing what that means. But this shows that Jesus knew what that meant. Even if his parents did it, right? His parents didn't comprehend when he says the statement, right? 
But he understood, even at age 12. And age 12 is a big deal, right? That's about the time when he's about to be an adult. Those of you people who know Jewish culture today know that age 13 is like the bar mitzvah year, right? That's when you're officially an adult in the Jewish culture. So he was on the brink of being an adult. And he had basically the knowledge of an adult at that point, even at age 12. He comprehended what was going on. He comprehended what God had put in his heart and his mind and comprehended what he had to do. And so it is, to finish up the story of his early life, it gets summed up in verse number 52. That one verse covers age 12 to 30, basically, right? It says in verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so that just sums up ages 12 to 30, right? To say that he continued to grow, right? He continued to develop into the man that would assume that role, that role that Luke will talk about in the rest of his book from chapters 3 to the end, right? That's setting up the stage. That even by age 12, he was ready and in his mind ready and continued to grow and get ready. So why is this story significant? Now we've told you the whole story about Jesus' early life. Well, first thing is that it contain, it's significant because it contains Jesus' only words recorded in the Bible from that age. And I think this verse is significant when he says, you know, how is it that you sought me? Would see not that I must be about my father's business? I think the key thing about that is that it shows that Jesus knew that he was God, even from that early age. He knew he was God. There's some people, mostly non-believers, that believe like this, that, oh, you know, because everyone said Jesus had to be the Savior, you know, by the time he was age 30, you know, he just felt the pressure to do something, and he wanted to make people happy because he had all this pressure his whole life to be the Savior, so he just started, you know, doing whatever and trying to do a ministry, but he was just like a regular guy, right? trying to become like a revolutionary or a political figure or whatever, right? And this is what some non-Christians would say. And of course, that's all false. That's not what he was. He wasn't just some guy trying to uh, fit into some role that had been forced upon him. He was fully understanding of his job, his job even from age 12, that he was sent by God with a mission. And it was his priority, even from age 12, that he must do God's will. He says, I must be about my father's, capital F, father's business. We're not talking about Joseph's business. Oh, he was a carpenter. Not that business. His real father. Remember, again, going back to the Christmas story. Half of it was from Mary, the other half from his heavenly father. That father, it was his priority to do God's will. He understood his divinity, and his divinity is the basis of our faith. Folks, there's a lot of, of cults out there that dispute Jesus' divinity, whether it be Jehovah's Witness or the, you know, the Mormon church. These people add all this stuff about, it, about how Jesus wasn't God. He's just some great prophet, some great guy. No, 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 no. He would not have said, I must be about my Father's, capital F, Father's business. If he didn't know that he was doing his Father's, God's work, he put himself on the same level. When you say you are God's son, that means that you are God yourself. What else does that mean, right? When you're part of that Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, he represented that that is me. 
I am him, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ. He knew it, even age 12. Even if his parents didn't even understand what that meant. We are lucky enough to understand that now because we had the benefit of hindsight and the whole Bible completed and seen the whole story. It makes perfect sense to us now. It seems obvious. But to them, it was a mystery. It's like, oh, your father's work? What are you talking about? We know it, and this story is reflective of that ultimate work. You see, what he did was he grew. He lived a full life. He lived a perfect life. And he understood while he lived that life that he was God with us. He lived that perfect life from age 0 to 33. And then at the end of that life, he died on the cross for your sins, my sins, everyone's sins. He had to do that to be our substitute. What does it mean to be a substitute after all? A substitute is someone that takes the place of another. It's a swap out, right? When you sub in in the basketball game, you take one guy out and you put another guy in, right? A lot of people wonder this. If Jesus just had to die on the cross for our sins, why didn't he just do it in one day or one weekend, right? Why did he have to go through 33 years of life? Why did he have to be born a virgin and all that stuff, right? If I were God, why not just come down on a Friday and then get crucified and then resurrect myself a couple days later and then I'm done, right? The turbo version. Well, if he did that, he would not be a man. He'd be like some god figure. You'd be like, uh, uh, you know, not on the right level with us human beings, right? He wouldn't have lived the life of a man. He wouldn't be able to be our substitute like that. He's our substitute because he was a man, a human, just like you and me. And he lived a whole life just like you and me. The only difference is his life was perfect. Our life was terrible. It was full of sin. It was a life deserving of hell. Ah, we can take our whole life and swap it with Jesus' whole life. And that's how we get salvation. And that's the importance of the story. We have to understand Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus living this whole life to truly be saved. If we don't understand Jesus' divinity, we don't understand anything, right? That's the key of this story right here. Now we'll wrap it up like this. That was the big point, right? That Jesus knew he was God. We should know he was God. We should know he lived that whole life just for us. 30 years for us. So that he could substitute for us. So we'll wrap up with this quick, quick message and this quick uh, reminder that we do have all our Christmas events. We want to share that message with everybody, don't we? We want to share the message, Jesus the Savior, the substitute, that his whole life was lived just for us to get rid of our whole life, the bad life, and replace it with his whole life, the good life, right? Invite your friends to the Christmas concert. Hear about Jesus, the substitute. Invite your friends to the Christmas dinner. Hear about Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, God with us. Here's the quote to wrap it up. It says, the name Emmanuel takes in the whole mystery. Jesus is God with us. He had a nature like our own things, right? He was like us, but what's the difference? Sin accepted. But through Jesus, he was with us with human flesh and blood. He was at the very same time God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you for giving us here your message. Right now, we ask you to be with us the rest of this Christmas season that can be honoring and glorifying you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.